بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله صل على سيدنا ونبينا ويان سورة محمد سورة نمبر 47 Which high is this? 27 Then high number 27 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فكيف إذا توفتهم الملائكة يضربون وجوههم وأذبارهم These people who don't like Islam and they pose themselves to be Muslims meaning the munafiq they have certain contentions certain ideas that they will say to people who disbelieve that will follow you in some of your affairs and Allah knows their secrets so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to them with this ayah number 27 that how will it be when the angels take their lives while striking their faces, meaning their reception will be a very hostile reception at the time of their death as they're leaving this world and going into the next world. There's always a reception committee of angels, uh, angels of Rahmah, will receive good people with rahmah, honor, dignity. And the angels of punishment will receive people who are not good with horror, uh, with fright, intimidation, and so on. That's the meaning of striking their faces. Uh, And also their backs, that uh, they will be pushed towards a punishment, and that will not be, as you can see, not the best of receptions. So they will be jeered rather than greeted. And this is a phenomenon that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can reveal, because no human being has died and come back to inform us of his or her experience. So this will happen to them. ذَلِكَ بِأَنَّهُمْ اتَّبَعُوا مَا أَسْخَطَ اللَّهُ وَكَرِهُوا رِضَانَهُ فَأَحْبَطَ عَمَالُهُمْ And this is because uh, they follow whatever displeases and angers Allah. So in ideas and in theories and in uh, world views, uh, you can follow whoever it is you feel like following. But you have to be careful you don't do this. And that is following someone or something that angers Allah. So definitely there are ideas that please Allah and there are ideas that anger Allah. So it's not a free fall or a free fall where you can follow anything you want to and get away with it. You can, 
because you have this volition and your free will to understand, appreciate whatever it is you feel is good. But there's another standard of right and wrong. There's another standard of truth and falsehood, and that is Allah's standards. So Allah reveals those standards to the prophets and to the Prophet Muhammad So if you follow that standard, then Allah will be pleased with you and he'll greet you with uh, his comfort and welcome. But if you follow any other standard that displeases Allah, then you'll be faced with the consequences there. So this is because they follow what displeases and angers Allah. And they themselves, intrinsically, they dislike Allah's pleasure. They don't want to please Allah. So internally they're corrupt and internally they are deceived by their own whims and their own ideas and eventually pathologically they don't want to please Allah. They dislike and detest Allah's pleasure. So this is a deeper inner uh, discordance with uh, what Allah wants and what the Rasul sallallahu wants from them and of them. Okay. So the ideas and, and theories that are out there, uh, there are so many ideas and so many theories, there are probably more ideas and theories than there are human beings. Okay. Then, but then you have to be discreet and you have to be judicious and you have to be careful as to which one's you do like and which ones you go after and which ones you don't like and so on. So if you don't have a gauge, a standard of right and wrong, then obviously you'll do what people do nowadays and that is, you know, it is what it is, everything's relative, there's no absolute truth and there's no way to actually determine uh, the truth and therefore let human beings be human beings the way they want to be human beings. But the Qur'an is very different. The Qur'an is the criterion. It is the Furqan. It separates and differentiates between truth and falsehood. So it gives you that standard of truth and it gives you that standard of falsehood. And then Allah says, okay, They cancel out their actions. Okay, they cancel out all the good actions they might do because of their wrong theory, because of their incorrect ideas and ideologies. So that the theory you work with is an umbrella under which you work. Okay? So your actions and deeds are on the ground and they are covered, uh, perhaps even enveloped by the ideas you have. So if your idea and worldview is wrong, then all your actions are also automatically wrong. So you destroy your actions, even though your actions may be good, because the theory is wrong. Uh, your approach is wrong. It's like you're sailing towards a destination, but you're going in the wrong destination. And then while you're on the ship, you do all these good things, and when you get to your destination, you fall flat, or you drown in the sea. So your actions are no good either. Whatever you did on the ship uh, goes to waste. So likewise, if your direction is right, then even a few actions are good because they will take you to your destination, and so on. Another discourse with the munafiq and the hypocrites 
that do those people who harbor illness and disease in their hearts, do they think and assume that Allah will never expose their hidden anger and animosity? Yeah. There was hidden anger, hidden animosity, which is now concealed by their plastic smiles and their cosmetic smiles and their very sophisticated diplomatic language. So Allah is saying to them, do, you, do they assume that Allah won't reveal that? Okay. So you harbor and you hide enmity, animosity against someone or some people, and you assume that that will never be exposed. So it will be exposed one day, uh, either in this world or in the world hereafter, and there will be actions that will show people that they're not in line with what they are saying. Okay, so there's a discrepancy between what they say and what they do, and Muslims must be observant of this. The Muslim mustn't be that naive and innocent that he takes everybody and doesn't see the red flags. You must be able to see and discern the red flags when they appear. If they don't appear, that's fine. Then you can assume the best. But if there are discrepancies uh, in dialogue and conversation, in what is done and what is said, and so on, especially in diplomacy, right, at the political level, and also in your daily dealings uh, with people, uh, they, they do something and they say something else, then you have to be cautious and so on. Okay? You have to be careful that you, you don't fall into that person's kind of ploy and scheme and plot and harm yourself. But here Allah is saying as a rule that if you harbor hidden enmity and animosity, Allah will bring it out somewhere, somehow. You just have to look for the signs. So this is a kind of, uh, uh, in the cosmos, this happens, okay? not in terms of the sharia, that you have to go out and dig into the minds and hearts of people to make sure that they are genuine and sincere. You don't do that. Okay? You do it at a different level, as I mentioned earlier today, at the siyasa level, but not here, not in your personal capacity, or at the social level where you're always assuming uh, the worst of people. That's not a good mindset. That's very unhealthy then you'll have stress and you'll have anger and you'll have anxiety and you'll have suspicion and you'll function because you'll be like a squirrel on the road. Do I go, do I not go? And by the time you decide, you're splattered across the road. That's what happens to people who are always suspicious. Okay. But if you have red flags, then don't ignore them. They are there for a reason. So you must be judicious and discreet and also careful how you deal with people. So the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, for the Muslim community, that's the standard, that you must think good about believers. That's your standard. You mustn't fall underneath that standard. Every time you meet a Muslim, you are suspicious. That's unhealthy. And then you don't develop an ummah because there's no trust. Okay, so the, 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 the basic level standard, that assume the believer is good. Assume goodness for and from the believer. That's your standard. Unless there are red flags. And then you cannot go and then as I dig for red flags if they're not there. Right? And that's a social order. 
and that's required by Islam. This is your Islam in practice, okay? Not the Islam that you think, oh, I'll never trust a Muslim, and so on. The unfortunate code of all Muslims, I never trust a Muslim, which is the demise of the Ummah. Then you're not an Ummah. That is a kind of pathological sickness that you must save yourself from. So assume the best about believers, work from that premise, and if there is a hidden agenda, Allah will reveal it to you, uh, inshallah. This is what this ayah is now saying and doing. If it's not revealed here, then there's a day of judgment where it will be revealed and you'll get the ajr and the reward for being patient and so on. But you can't be rewarded for being naive and so on. Anyway, so that's how you must operate. Uh, this is for the Prophet that Allah will reveal their hidden anger and their hidden enmity against him, uh, which he did uh, in one or two years after this ayah was revealed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed all the munafiq uh, and their names to the Prophet this was Allah saying that in the process of revealing who is now good and who is bad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if he wanted to, had we willed, then we most certainly would have shown you them. We would have shown you them, who they are, had we wanted to. At the moment, we don't want to, so we won't until we will. Then you would have recognized them through their signs, through their marks, distinguishing marks, that the distinguishing marks of the Sahaba was that they had sujood written all over their faces. سِيمَاهُمْ فِي وُجُوهِهِمْ مِنْ أَثَرِ السُّجُودِ The Prophet Allah says about the Sahaba that their, 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 their insignia, their trademark, is that uh, sujood is all over their face. You'll see the sujood on their faces. That, that was their trademark. So here Allah SWT is saying that certain people have certain uh, distinguishing features and expressions, facial expressions, that give them away. So you can read people through their facial expressions which you now know is a science. <laughs> uh, people who are into interrogation, interrogation, they read you just by looking at you, you know, how you twitch your eyebrow and how your facial maneuvers are and so on. So Allah SWT, you will know, you would have known them through their facial expressions and through their marks and through their signature marks on their faces. That's one way uh, to identify and likewise, when you answer certain questions, your pulse rises or doesn't rise, and how you are psychologically, how you are in your speech, whether your, your tone goes this way or that way, and you would have known them through their twisting in their statements. That you will recognize uh, how they are now deceiving you, how they're disguising uh, their statements in their statements through their statements, and so on. So this is an order, uh, perhaps, for Muslims also to uh, identify uh, these uh, signs so that they know who's who, and so especially at the governmental level, and so on, because this surah is about the government, 
and the Prophet Sallallahu campaign for warfare and jihad and so on. So this definitely is, uh, you know, an ayah that is worth investing in for at least Muslim authorities, if not for the Muslim ordinary person on the street, he can also develop abilities to see. And obviously it's not an exact science, but definitely it will stop you and prevent you from trouble and from sometimes potential disaster. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is capable of doing this and uh, he does give this limited ability to certain human beings to actually verify whether someone is telling the truth or not telling the truth. Uh, It's possible. And most certainly, indeed, we will test you so that we know who is the true sacrificer from amongst you, the true mujahid, the one who is true to his uh, task in believing Allah and proving himself to Allah and the Rasul. And so that uh, we may know who are the patient ones from amongst you. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is now saying that there are many reasons why Allah tests people. One reason is that Allah wants to see who is truthful, uh, true to his statement, and who is not. So you separate those who are true from those who are not true, and from those who are dishonest. Okay, that's one of the reasons for testing to know who is good and who is not good. To test who passes the test, and to test who does not pass the test, so that you can be classified in the winners and the losers. That's a divine reason uh, for testing human beings. So Allah knows that, uh, eternally Allah knows that you are true, but in the cosmos, in the process of the cosmos, and in cause and effect, there has to be a standard of proof that others can identify with. Okay? So that's why the standard of truth is making sure that you have a book of records, a book of deeds, so that everything that you've done is recorded. So you'll be witness to your own book on the Day of Judgment and you'll be mesmerized with how detailed and how meticulous that book is. This book has got things in there I never knew I did. So that's to testify against you. But that's record keeping so that this cause and effect, there's a system of justice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala maintains in the cosmos. And then obviously there's other reports, the witnessing of your own limbs and organs against you. And so on also. This test in this dunya to say that you did not pass this test. You were there and you failed. And therefore, because you failed, we have now the divine prerogative of whether to discipline you, punish you, or do whatever. So that is to establish the premise for justice that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the divine prerogative to test human beings. And one reason is to show you who is truthful versus who is not. So when there's a call to defend, you know, Islam and Darul Islam, you will see in front of you who does and who doesn't. So it's a gauge and a standard for you also in this dunya, for the human standard. So when somebody is going into war and battle, then you know who is the deserter and who is not. So anyone who's who's a deserter, he is what? 
He's branded <laughs> and dishonorable discharge, and he's seen as a coward, basically. Even in the dunya, human beings have this standard of testing, uh, that who is now willing to do the work and sacrifice, and who is not willing to do the work and sacrifice. So that's why there's this uh, premise of testing, ibtila and bala, and so on. So human beings administer testing, the divine administers testing. But the testing of the human being is now limited to this world, and also so that they may be a witness on the Day of Judgment, and the testing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is to identify who is worthy of going into Jannah and who is not. All right, so that's the divine cause and effect system that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala implements everywhere. وَنَبْلُوَ أَخْبَارُكُمْ And more than that, uh, we will test now your states and your merits, your akhbar, your reports, and the news about yourselves. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now he is kind and he is, uh, what do you call it, in order. And with order, so he does things through this process, which is systematic and organized, and is not something that's haphazard, so that on the Day of Judgment he can say that you were given this test, but you didn't. Either you didn't take it, you ran away from it, or you failed it, and so on. Inna al-ladina kafar wa sadu an sabil wa shaqu rasul min baadi ma tabayyan lahu al-haq wa min baadi ma tabayyan lahu al-huda layyuzuru Allah shay'a wa sayyuhbitu amaluhum. So in this sequence of ayat. Uh, there is an emphasis on not cancelling and destroying your own actions and so on. So there is always a discussion is that, that these non-Muslims do good deeds. How will they be punished if they do good deeds? They're kind, they're merciful, they're generous, they do this, this and that. And charity and welfare and refugee work, etc. So, okay. so these ayat will help you understand. Hopefully, inshallah why they destroy their own actions. So the first reason is kufr. Kufr is a permanent state of being. Kufr is not a temporary action. When you give somebody charity, that is a temporary action. When you are in kufr and denial of Allah, that's a permanent state. It stays with you. Whether you're asleep, whether you're eating, drinking, playing, whether you're working... Uh, whether you're doing anything else, you are in the permanent state of kufr. It engulfs you, you are there. You can't come out of it. So when you're in this state, then, as I mentioned before, your actions will be judged according to the state that you're in. That's one. The second is that you stop others from believing, which is even more rebellious. Um, and number three, as in this ayah, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that those who disobey and go against the Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and more than stop others, they help others stop people from entering Islam, which is the height of, as I said, hypocrisy and the height of rebellion. And so, so these three layers. One layer is passive, where is permanent kufr, 
The other layer is somewhat active, where you're stopping others, uh, meaning promoting the deed. And the third is that you are destroying the deed totally. You're annihilating the deed. So this, you will be judged according to whichever category you're in. So this is what this ayah says. So indeed, those who disbelieve and those who stop others from the path of Allah and those who totally destroy shaqa is much more than rebellion. It's a very severe word. It means to tear apart. Mm, yeah. Shaqa means to tear apart. Those who tear apart the Rasul, after guidance has become very apparent to them. Mm. Yes. Meaning guidance is apparent to almost everybody on the planet, but even after guidance is apparent, they choose not to want either to believe it, in that case they're the kafir, mm. or they choose that, that they will stop others from believing in it, or they'll choose to destroy it in some way, shape, or form. Then Allah says to them, They will never hurt Allah. Anything, absolutely, in no way, shape, form, can they hurt Allah. Because Allah is Allah. He is above their intentions. He is above their kufr. He is above their ripping apart Islam. And he is above their schemes and ploys and plots, etc. So there's a meaning that you're not going to hurt Allah, Islam, if you're going to do all of this. It is what it is. And it will survive because this is a question of survival of the fittest in this world. And what is the fittest is Islam. Islam will survive until the Day of Judgment. And when there is no Muslim, the world won't survive. So Islam survives the world, but the world will not survive if Islam is not here. That's our eschatology. That's what we believe in. That's as far as Allah is concerned. What's as far as them? And Allah will now destroy all of their actions. He will make all of their actions now cancelled and in vain, basically. So that is now Allah's prerogative, whether or not to accept their actions or not. And the divine will is that he will not accept their actions uh, whatsoever. So this is now based on the idea that it is something within them, within their conscience, within their hearts, deep in their uh, inner being that they dislike Allah and the Rasul and they, they, they hide this enmity against Allah and the Rasul and Islam and they do everything either to not believe in it or to stop people from believing it or to destroy it and so, so how can any of their actions be good if they are like this mm. yeah. so somebody who's dying uh, it doesn't matter how much food or medicine you give them, they're dying. Where no food and no medicine can help a patient, he's dying, so it doesn't matter. If you give them you know, a seven-course meal or ten-course meal, or if you have the, the, the most fancy silverware there, the most fancy crockery there, the most fancy dining table, and, or the decor there, the most fancy ambiance there, and if there's candle and if there's music, he's dying. Everything else is pointless. It is mute. So kafir is dying, so everything else is pointless. It is mute because he's in a permanent state of kufr. Now who says that? I'm not saying this. I'm just reading the revelation. 
So Allah is the ultimate judge, and if he judges that these people, their actions are mute, and they're in vain, and they are void of any reward, then perhaps we should acquiesce to what Allah is saying, and not interject our human emotion into the discussion. Why is Allah punishing them? That's what he's saying, I'm not saying that. What's your duty as a Muslim? Your duty as a Muslim is to submit to the will of Allah. Now, as uh, you know, as simple as it sounds, is easier said than done. It's not easy to accept this because you see, people are doing good things and so on. So, emotions as a human being, you're going to have some emotion to those people, and you're going to be attached to those actions and say, "This is good," uh, and so on. But that's that's where. Emotion now must be sacrificed for the sake of Allah's will. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I've mentioned this several times before, says to the Prophet ﷺ, Abu Talib is not a Muslim. Yeah. Now, how does that sound to the Prophet? It's like a hammer on his head. Right? But he loves the guy. He's the one who supported him. He, his effort is the effort that allowed the Prophet to live in Mecca without being assassinated. So when Allah says, eh, he's not a Muslim. You understand? So what, 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 what do you have to do as a Nabi? You know, look at it from the Prophet's point of view. Not ours. Ours, oh yeah, that guy, that, he's a nice guy. Maybe he should go into Jannah. He's almost as good as a Muslim. The usual comment. But look at the Prophet The Allah is saying to him that your uncle, who is your savior for all intents and purposes, is not going to Jannah. Right? It's a calamity on the Prophet It is impossible to acknowledge the grief that the Prophet now experienced when that ayah was revealed. We take it for like glasses of water, piece of cake. Oh, yeah, he's a kafir, he's going to Jahannam. That doesn't resonate with the Prophet. He's a human being and he is grieved. So, my own uncle, my own kith and kin will not be with me in Jahannam. How does that sound? So, he, as the Prophet, sacrificed his emotion for the will of Allah. That is his greatest mojiza. That he always sacrificed everything for the will of Allah, no matter how uh, impossible it was for him to appreciate it. And that's simply what Muslims need to do today. You can have, have these silly conversations, the emotional conversations, they're so good, they must be in Jannah. Why is Allah going to punish them? You are not God. Do you know whether or not God's going to punish you? That's the first question. Why don't you worry about your own salvation? Are you there yet in Jannah for you to say, why is Allah punishing him? Huh? So take care of your own salvation before you start asking about other people's salvation. And Islam is not based on emotion. Islam is based on knowledge from wahi, not from human logic and rationalization and appropriation and theories and ideologies and compassion. and It's not based on that. That's the whole problem. You are mixing your nafs with Allah's will. 
So if Allah says that he will never forgive someone who associates partners with him, he's saying that. And when this is revealed to the Prophet where everybody's committing shirk, then what, what's he seeing in front of him? He's seeing doom and failure in front of him. You must read the Quran uh, from the point of view of the Prophet first before you apply it to these situations on the ground that you are facing. You will never be as compassionate as the Prophet You'll never be as caring as the Prophet You'll never be as human as the Prophet So when he is now faced with this dilemma, which is a dilemma, Allah is saying one thing and he wants something else, then where does he go? That's a mujahada. That's the struggle. Now he grieves and he is sad and he is disappointed that these people, the Quraysh, who are pagans and they are mushrik, they will not be in Jannah. Allah says, I'll never forgive them. You understand? Yeah, meaning that <laughs> it's easy for us to say in, in, when we live in luxury, oh, why is Allah punishing these people? Then it's not up to us. We are not God, so we don't decide who goes into Jannah, who doesn't go. Allah decides that. Yeah, so we mustn't play God all the time, kind of be the spokespeople for people that God forbid. Allah doesn't want them to be in Jannah. So why? Are you going to argue with Allah on the Day of Judgment? Yeah, good luck with that. Right? I mean, you can't argue here so that you won't argue there. Now, is it disappointing? Is it troublesome? Is it cumbersome? Is it uh, very agonizing? Yes. I mean, to, to our friends here, mashallah, who are now converts. Okay. If you told them their parents are going to hell, how do you think it feels to them? It's a hammer on the head. And I know many, many, many people, mashallah, Allah give them all hidayah and ikhlas and tawfiq and husn khatimah, inshallah, that when they know that their parents are going to hell, they sit and cry for days. So it's not a simplistic uh, aqidah that you just read from the book, they're going to hell. It is a human appreciation of God's will. And that appreciation is a huge sacrifice. It's a huge sacrifice. We simply cannot dismiss it as an issue of aqidah, which it is. It is an aqidah issue. But in reality, when you talk to people, you have to be careful and sensitive to what they're feeling. And say, okay, this is the rule, let's help you here somewhere. We don't change the aqidah because we can't do that. That's distortion. That's haram, that's tahrib. In fact, if you do that, you're kafir. You can't change the aqidah if it's there. Well, as the Prophet did not change the aqidah, that Abu Talib is not going into Jannah. He didn't change it. He had to deal with it. And how do you deal with it? You deal with it as a test. Allah says in the ayah before, we will test you. So Allah is testing the Prophet, and this was with the Sahaba too, that all of their forefathers in hell. Isn't that the rule? That they, 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 they disobeyed the Prophet, they rejected the Prophet, so those who were there in the time of the Prophet, if they were their fathers and their mothers and their sisters and their sons and their daughters and their cousins and their aunts, uncles and grandfathers, grandchildren, they're all going to hell. So how do you think the Sahaba understood this? It was not easy. 
is not easy to tell somebody that you're going to hell. But the Sahaba, they kind of put a mountain on their hearts and say, this is what Allah says. They have to accept submission is never easy. Submitting to the will of Allah, we say, we say that casually, let's submit to the will of Allah. But try this. Try this, I will see Ahbitamalahum. Allah will cancel out all their good deeds, all their actions will be removed totally. So you can say it from the cavalier point of view, which won't help you, won't help anybody else, but you must see from the, from, from the, the, the recipients of the Qur'an at first, when they read these ayat, these ayat disturbed them. They accepted the ayat, but it disturbed them emotionally. That I have no recourse to tell Allah, please allow my father and my mother to go into Jannah. They had no recourse. But whose judgment is it? It's Allah's judgment. When Allah says to Nuh, your son is not a Muslim, <laughs> how do you think he feels? When Allah now drowns his son, he's not one of you. How do you think Nuh is feeling? That your own blood is drowned because it's garbage. He's not a piece of cake. He's not dancing and partying. He is saddened. He is grieving. He is in pain. He's agonizing. So you must bring it down to the level of the prophets as human beings. That's why prophets are human beings. Because they have to go through the test. Their testing is a proof that they're human beings. That Allah doesn't spare them either. You are Muslim, okay, let's put you to test. How much Islam do you have? How much submission to my will do you have? That's an impossible order. Impossible to actually um, appreciate is the word. So now, alhamdulillah, we're Muslims. And uh, inshallah, we'll hopefully, through Allah's fadl, go into Jannah. But it's not easy to condemn people into hell as a prophet. Because you're responsible for the herd. You're responsible for the flock. As we know, we have uh, Ummat Ijaba and Ummat Dawa. We have both the Ummah that accepts and the Ummah that doesn't accept. They're both part of the Ummah of Muhammad. So it will not be easy for him to see his Ummah going to Jannah. It will not be easy at all. So we have to realize that human emotion uh, before we become holier than thou and ride high horses that don't exist. Come down to earth. Make sure you understand, appreciate the human order of agonizing, being emotional, being sad, and being disappointed. But you sacrifice all of that for whom? For Allah. That's your Islam. Islam five times prayer. That's fine. That's for the Muslim who's accepted. But Islam for the non-Muslim is accept Allah's will. Which is a very difficult order. Yeah. This is about uh, cancelling out your actions, which is now the next ayah. Inshallah. O you who believe, uh, obey Allah, obey the Rasul, and do not cancel out your actions by doing things that um, undermine or override your actions. Undermining them will be that you do things for now showing off 
for pleasing others uh, because of vanity and because of name and fame, that you do things to please others. And that's the first way your actions are now obliterated and cancelled out. If there's no ikhlas, the action is not worthy of evaluation, as the Prophet said. Even if you did hijrah, and your niyyah was not hijrah, and it was something else, your hijrah is not accepted. So even the greatest sacrifice on paper is not valid until the niyyah is valid. And that's the meaning of the hadith that we find in Bukhari and in other books of hadith that actions are determined by the niyyah. So the niyyah has to be pure, sincere, as I mentioned previously, that you do things for the sake of Allah and not for the sake of other human beings and for, for their uh, acceptance and for their validation, which is unfortunately another disease, that we do things so that others will validate what we do, be it parents, be it grandparents, be it brothers or sisters, be it cousins, be it spouses, be it the community, be it your social media people. <laughs> I feel sorry for the social media people that they want their actions validated every hour of the day. They're in pain. They don't realize that they're in pain. They always want their actions validated. Whatever they do, there's validation, validation, validation. It's a total nonsense. Demise of human standards of life, basically. They're deprived of the simplicity of doing things for Allah. It's so simple. I'm doing this, I want to please Allah. Whether somebody else acknowledges or not, I don't care. I'm not dependent on anyone else validating what I do. What I am dependent on is that if it's correct, then it's fine. If it's incorrect, then I would appreciate the, inshallah, correction. That's good. But my niyyah is to please Allah, not to please anyone else. And when you please Allah, you do things that uh, please Allah. It doesn't anger Allah. So if you have to sacrifice and you know, negotiate, and if you have to concede a few things here and there, then you do it for Allah, uh, basically. Right, so this is now uh, cancelling out your good deeds is not something that uh, Muslims do, and they're not allowed to do that, and so on. One of the other ways, obviously, is to now do things and then hurt people in the process mm-hmm. by making them feel that they have done them a favor. Mm-hmm. The Quran says, by imposing your favor on others, I did this for you, and therefore you should respect me. Now that's called cancelling your action. You'll, be, you'll not be rewarded for that. In fact, you might be punished for the hurt and the insult you are levying on the other person, on the recipient. So there you have to be careful too that when you do favours for people and you're kind to people, you don't brag about it and you don't impose your favour on them by saying, that I did all this for you and you do nothing for me. That's not the Islamic standard. It might be the standard of the world that you do everything to please anyone else. I mean, it's perverted, total perversion of human behavior, what we see in the world today. Even before uh, these days, every human being, every human society has been guilty of this, unfortunately. And then thirdly, there's another uh, fiqhi point of view of uh, cancelling out your actions, and that is when you start something which is good, then if you stop in the middle, then you have to complete it afterwards. Okay, this is an issue in fiqh. If you do salat nafil and you don't finish, then uh, in the Hanafi fiqh at least, you should go back and finish it 
and you must not leave it incomplete, and so on. Anyway, the, 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 that's a fiqh issue, which is not really the, the point of our tafsir here, but it's there, so you understand. If you do start a fast, which is nothing, and you're not able to complete the fast for whatever reason, then you must go back and complete the fast at another time. And that will be included in the discussion of this part of the ayah. لا تبتلوا أعمالكم Meaning that human beings, they want to please Allah and they expect a reward from Allah, then they should believe in Allah first. You can't expect a gift from somebody that you don't acknowledge. Right? If you don't acknowledge that this guy is your CEO, your boss, your employer, then he's not going to give you any wages. <laughs> That's just silly. So the non-Muslim who doesn't believe in Allah and the Rasul, if they're expecting a reward from Allah and the Rasul, they should believe in them first before they expect and anticipate the reward in the first place. Unless they're anticipating reward from another being like Isa salam, then Allah will announce on the Day of Judgment that anyone who did anything for me, they will come to me and they will receive their reward from me. And anyone who did anything for anyone else besides me, they can go to that person and receive their reward from them. Very straightforward. Yeah. That should answer all your questions. Yes. Right. But the other thing is that in the name of good deeds, you have to make sure you're not conniving, deceiving, and you're not a troublemaker, and you don't stop people from learning about the truth and accepting the truth, and you don't destroy the truth mentioned in the previous ayah which we had highlighted uh, previous ayah number 32. Yeah. Anyway, we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq to what pleases him the most and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us a means of guidance for us and for other people and raise us amongst the pious and good Muslims on the day of judgment. Ameen ya rabbal alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khayr khilqi Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya 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 rahmat